Probably scientists, this is Andy wishing all of you a great summer. I hope you've been doing well. Uh, I know we've been gone for a few weeks without a new episode. We apologize for that, but it's been it's been kind of a crazy summer. Uh, Matt's been over in the UK. I just got back from Denver, where I was at the High Plains Comedy Festival, which was a blast. Thank you to Andy Jewett and Adam Caton Holland and everyone else that made that festival possible. Uh, some news. I don't know if you guys already saw this on our Twitter feed or Facebook, but... Um, erstwhile co-host Brooks Whelan has been hired by none other than Saturday Night Live, which is incredible. We're so happy for him. He's going to be writer there. Uh, so he's not going to be on the show very much in the near future. But then again, I guess he really hasn't been on for like the last 30 or 40 episodes. So it doesn't come as any big surprise, but uh, we're very happy for him and we're excited to see him do great things on the show. And maybe we'll do something on the road out in New York with him sometime soon. Uh, before we get to this week's episode, I do want to remind you that we're going to be performing live at the LA Podcast Festival, which is happening October 4th through 6th in Santa Monica at the Sheraton Delfina. It's a great time. Uh, it's the second year of the event, and it's a, a kind of a kill two birds, one stone sort of thing vacation-wise, because you're right there at the beach, and you also get to see all these great podcasts like W2F with Mark Marin, Girl on Guy with Aisha Tyler. We just confirmed Welcome to Night Vale, number one comedy podcast on iTunes. Uh, Fitzdog Radio, Sclarborough Country, Never Not Funny, so many more. And Matt and I are going to be there live with some special guests. So you can check us out and tickets are still available. You can buy a pass for the whole weekend. Uh, again, LAPodfest.com for info on that. So this week's episode is going to come to you courtesy of Matt, who recorded it with his writing partner, Nick Duty over in the UK. And Matt is just getting back in town now. So we'll have some episodes coming soon with both of us, including what I'm very excited about with David Epstein, the author of the new book, The Sports Gene, about the science of elite athletics, which I've almost finished reading, and it's really great. So get that on Amazon, and uh, you might want to read up, because I am going to have a ton of questions for him, and maybe you guys will too. So if you get this in time to then go read the book and then tweet us questions, we can kind of work those into the show. But yeah, we should we should get to it. But before we do one more thing, uh, I think because we made fun of one of our listeners for donating only 99 cents to the show, which again, you can do by going to probablyscience.com and clicking the donate button. Someone donated less than a dollar. So we mentioned the donation, but didn't mention his name. And that for some reason, or maybe also the fact that we haven't been putting episodes out for a few weeks, maybe people thought we were holding them ransom. And you guys pointed up some nice ransom money, which we appreciate. But uh, we got a bunch of donations in the last few weeks, including my friend Eric Williams, was generous enough to give us uh, 20 different donations of 99 cents each, which is... <laughs> sort of skirting the rules of uh yeah so we appreciate that that's awesome that's awesome and ramzi ashaba from australia gave us a nice donation uh we got one from a listener who chose to remain anonymous except we can call him lack he said to call him lack so thank you lack that was very nice to you we appreciate it uh sean whaley from arizona who is a professor of physics at arizona state which is awesome again we appreciate any time that actual scientists can tolerate what we put out there uh thank you for the donation and let's see who else did matthew garvin from australia sent us a donation which we really appreciate um so again yeah if you want to do that also it helps us cover our our costs um probably science.com click the donate button so without any further ado let's get into this week's episode which is with matt and his writing partner nick duty hope you guys enjoy it and we'll be back real soon with some more new episodes Welcome 
welcome to Probably Science. This is the second bonus episode slash experiment in using my phone to record because I'm in Britain and Andy has all the recording equipment. Uh, apparently it turned out alright the first time and that was on a busy train with people around. Uh, this is in a nice quiet lounge uh, with Mr. Nick Dooney. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> My uh, my trademark. That's my trademark. Everything falling over when my name is mentioned. <laughs> that was a that was a perfect moment. We we set up a a mini structure of yeah. polystyrene blocks. <laughs> Who would have thought that this uh, this stand that I've made out of gossamer and cobwebs <laughs> would not be able to hold and counterbalance with yeah. a tiny uh, laptop speaker? Yeah, for some reason, didn't survive more than. <laughs> The introduction to... Not, not even the introduction to this episode. The introduction's still going on, and the thing hasn't survived. Let's let's give it another go at balancing that on there. So it was it was obviously gradually collapsing the entire time it was there. Yeah. It just... I don't know. Whatever it was, the, the robot jockey that broke the camel's back. <laughs> so I should probably uh, give you a proper introduction. Uh, Nick, uh, comic writer... Uh, my writing partner on Wikipedia, amongst other things, uh, and an excellent comedian. Uh, Nick, we always ask our guests this, what is your comedy, sorry, your science even background? My my, my science background if is one of gradual realisation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm an, an interested amateur, I'm not, I don't have a background in science, I am... Um, I think physics GCSE is the last formal qualification in science that I got, right, that's or possibly a, a, possibly a linguistics module of my degree because I did languages. That's which is relatively scientific at times, like it, that particular aspect. It, it is aspect more of it. scientific than it used to be, but it's right. still yeah. And since then, developed a keen interest in things science. Uh, yeah, through partially through all the things I was interested. In as a kid, turning out to not be true at all, <laughs> right? Like Batman. Yeah, well, I mean that's still you know you, that's not been, been proven. There, there have been droppings found. <laughs> uh, Batfoot, that was another one. Yeah. Um, yeah, but just all those things. The Loch Ness so, Bat. Yes. <laughs> that that is real. I have seen. I've I've had that in my hair. <laughs> Traces or, or the full yeah, no, bat? The, well, not the full bat, it got out. <laughs> <laughs> a wingtip. Have you actually been up to Loch Ness? Yes, yeah. A, I don't, how far is that from Edinburgh? Some, a couple of friends of mine were going to travel there during the festival. Uh, it's quite away north, I think. It's, um, well, it's Inverness is the nearest big town. Okay. Um, I think, uh, given this is a bonus episode, and I don't know how long we have before you have to go to a gig... Uh, I think we should probably crack straight in with a couple of stories. Cool. Um, here's uh, here's one. Um, snails apparently uh, not only spread deadly dog disease across the UK, <laughs> according well, to that's been misnamed, <laughs> uh, but um, also move substantially faster than previously thought. They they travel at a relatively speedy one meter per hour. <laughs> right, okay, that's. That's still not quite fast enough for a horror film, is it? <laughs> <laughs> They're at the gates! Well, should, we, should we go round the back? <laughs> <laughs> Up a stair or something yeah, yeah. for a bit. We're going to have to cut this picnic short mm. by at least one baguette. <laughs> <laughs> um, They're getting closer, I'll be able to see them without these binoculars. <laughs> uh, 
what what they did, uh, the researchers, um, was attached multicolored LED lights to the back of these snails, and they were able to track their movements over a 24-hour period. I am not convinced that's what they were trying to do. (laughs) I can imagine attaching LED lights to a snail for a party. Yeah. You know, but then gradually as the perimeter of the party starts to move, you... Perhaps there's some research in this. Well, apparently, over the over a 24 hour period, they were able to explore the length of an average UK garden. In fact, in a single night, they could do that. Um, See, now I want to know what the length of an average UK garden is. Well, that is, I, I would have thought, you know, Blenheim Palace probably <laughs> probably boosts that a bit. I bet you the average UK garden is a hell of a lot bigger than, uh, say, the median UK garden. Well, I don't know, because a lot of people don't have gardens, so there'll be a lot of zeros bringing it down. Oh, are those people counted? I don't know. If you don't have a garden... Because, you know, you're in an apartment, we have a garden. So you be one of the... Well, we did have a roof deck, but then the builders... (laughs) This won't be interesting to anyone listening, but um, we had a roof terrace. It was a really nice sort of feature of the uh, the the whole of the town. Yeah. And you could get out, you could see, uh, you could look to your left and see Alexander Palace, where the, uh, the first uh, UK-wide television broadcast was uh, made from, uh, which features in a Doctor Who episode for that reason. Um, and now you can't go out there because the builders who are refurbing the building put a toilet on it. <laughs> we, just, we just noticed that you couldn't really see as much light as you could out of our windows. I wonder what... This oh, there's building a building up the shooting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I looked out and go, oh, there's, there's a functioning toilet. <laughs> Right, directly outside our window. <laughs> when you say it, like, do you mean like a sort of, like a porta potty type thing that they well, that they just or is there just like literally a toilet just out in the elements? Actually, that... no, no. There, there's there's a plywood box with a toilet in it. Not really? like not like a kind of festival plastic toilet, like a, an actual porcelain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's pretty low rent. It doesn't have like golden taps or anything, isn't it? <laughs> but it isn't fully enclosed. Three sides. <laughs> Three and a half sides. <laughs> that, that's how I know it's there. I didn't investigate further. <laughs> you go, what's in this plywood box that's yeah. appeared on our roof? That's, that, exactly, what the mysterious oh, box that's appeared. <laughs> it's an angry Polish man with a trowel. <laughs> yeah, that's where it branched off from being an episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> the mysterious box that appeared overnight. That's just got a toilet in it. Very good. Sci-fi's theme, though. Just a show where this... Defecating, yeah, builder appears <laughs> just briefly and then leaves after a while. <laughs> Mystery solved. It's very funny. Um, so what they did, uh, they tracked this. Uh, the The big problem is these fast moving snails uh, are spreading a parasite that is deadly for dogs uh, called Angiostrongylus. Vasorum. Uh, right. It's a lungworm, and it's a particular threat to dogs which become infected uh, by accidentally eating slugs or snails which they come across in the garden, or on dog toys. Uh, hmm. They were uh, researchers in the, at the University of Exeter were the ones who discovered this. They were commissioned to look into the uh, scale of the threat um, by the Bee Lungworm Aware Campaign. Oh, the BLA, yeah. Yeah. Um, B- the BLA, I think, are responsible putting LEDs on snails than almost any other British organisation. Yeah, it's a sort of modern version of uh, the leper's bell. <laughs> <laughs> do you do see any slow-moving P 
pinpricks of red light in your garden, stay away, or at least don't eat it. Yeah, because it's either a sniper or a snail that yeah. could give you a lungworm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Basically, uh, the more disco the snail, the more dangerous. <laughs> um, apparently, Dr. Dave Hodgson, who led the study, was also the amateur science experiment in 2010 that sought to discover if snails had a homing instinct. <laughs> Which... Does it count as a homing instinct if they just miss it? <laughs> they don't know how to get back there, but they do miss it. <laughs> they just got an instinct to head... So- yeah. So like, what homing- how do you tell it? Well, it's going in the wrong direction, but it does look urgent mm. and worried. How do you tell a homing instinct for something that carries its home on its back? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, he's returned home. <laughs> um, it's just shy. So, uh... Oh, here we go. I, ju- I had to click on the link. It was from the BBC Amateur Scientist of the Year, uh, which is wow. um, won by a 70-year-old gardener called Ruth Brooks. The first time it's been won by a non-evil scientist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, every, every year at the quarterfinals, someone trying to reanimate dead flesh is not dead. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, they've started to ask, do you have a lair? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is your power source a storm? (laughs) (laughs) Have you gradually been abandoned by family and assistance for, quote-unquote, playing God? (laughs) How often? If your experiment were to work, (laughs) would you say, it works, it works? (laughs) Um, Cackling. (laughs) Nature is my slave. (laughs) New rational thought. <laughs> um, uh, he he continued. I'm very happy to accept the award. <laughs> very nice on the mantelpiece inside this volcano. That'd be so, that'd be so tempting if you got an uh, if you got a Nobel Prize, just to sort of start cackling in your reception speech. <laughs> Soon the leaders of the world will need. Uh, what I mean is. Of course, I hope that I've advanced the cause of humanity's progress. <laughs> and I insist you for supporting me. Yes. Um, yeah, they don't really do, like, a separate Nobel Prize for evil science. No. Um, Nobel Prize, uh, the Peace Prize in particular, was famously set up because Alfred Nobel was responsible for dynamite. Dynamite, yeah. And was worried about his negative contributions to society. Which, at least, he didn't put his name on it. Um... At least, he did, at least he didn't. Sorry, left my phone on. At least he didn't actually call them, you know, noble sticks. <laughs> yes. Got away with it in the public consciousness, I think. Whereas, uh, you know, Lucius Grenade, on the other hand. Um. So apparently, Ruth Brooks, amateur scientist, found that a helix asperger, which is the common garden snail, can find its way home from up to thirty meters away. Um, for our American <laughs> listeners, that's just over 30 yards. Uh, but for gardeners to be sure that their snails will not come back, they should be moved over 100 metres. It's assumed that we use metres and kilometres and the like. Oh, like Constantly, like in Family Guy, where this is about as convincing as Liam Neeson's American accent. And then it's got him saying all sorts of stuff like kilometres and things that people don't do here. Yeah, it's hard to exp because Britain's association with the metric system is sort of vague and confusing. It's quite hard to actually pin down 
like yeah. uh, America is almost entirely imperial measurements unless you're a scientist in which case you use the metric thing work a lot easier it's very simple that if you use meters and kilograms yeah then you'll end up to calculate energy you'll end up with a number in the exact joules yes uh, those, those things are connected in, in a rational way that makes it sane to have them all yes whereas we uh, but whereas in Brit and in, in Europe everything's um in continental Europe, and in fact, I think in Australia and New Zealand, everything is metric system. Right. Uh, road measurements are in kilometres and kilometres per hour, and temperatures is in Celsius. In Britain, it's sort of this half-assed middle ground thing where food and drink is measured in in kilograms, but they'll put pounds next to it, and temperature is done in Celsius when it's cold, but Fahrenheit when it's hot. Yeah, although that's changing, I think people have managed to get their head around Celsius now. Yeah, and then those measurements are still in miles per hour and miles. Yeah, uh, you're lucky if it's hour. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes it's per cigarette. <laughs> uh, so, oh, I'm a. Uh, uh, oh, her, her her experiment, Ruth Brooks. Uh, she said, "I've had such an amazing year. What's been the greatest pleasure has been seeing people take it seriously enough to carry on with the research." Um, biosciences student Claire Young is now using metal detectors and copper tags in a new experiment to try and discover how snails complete this feat of navigation. Uh, well, is it that they're only sort of 90 feet away so they can see it? <laughs> is, is that how? <laughs> is that of slime that they've left directly yeah. between the two points? Um, oh yeah, that's true as well. Do you know, that, do you know about the nematode experiments? I do not. Do you, well, it, it used to be believed, for some mad reason, I don't know by him, that um, planaria, flatworms, if one of them learned to do a maze and then you ground it up and fed it to the second one, <laughs> then the second one would then know how to do the maze, right? It's like and, a homeopathic theory this of learning. This was several times until they found out, but if you wash the maze, then it can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Because the first one's just left a trail. <laughs> so, so they actually, I don't know why they even thought that was the case. Also, what, yeah, that must have meant that they didn't at all do a controlled experiment with yeah. a second worm on the same maze that right, hadn't eaten its sibling. And, and if they had done that, would they, would they go, oh, it's not eating it, it's telepathic. Hi, <laughs> uh, that's sorry. Um, I, I think... Uh, I don't know which of these uh, other stories to go on for. Um, we should probably let our listeners know. This is... I um, don't know if you want to buy a piece of science history, but NASA is currently seeking bidders uh, for its three mobile launcher platforms uh, that we used at Kennedy Space Center in Florida to ferry large rockets to the launch zone and serve as launch pads. Oh, they're used. Oh, well. <laughs> they are used. <laughs> so if you do want a second-hand uh, uh, your own... 3,700 ton hunk of steel, as it's described in this New Scientist article. Uh, you don't go to um, NASA, but yeah, if you fancy it, if you fancy used one, um, you can buy. It doesn't announce. It doesn't say what the price is. I'm hoping. I'm going to wait for it to come out on Groupon. Wow. So every every young, excitable, nerdy kid is going to look at the pictures of the shuttle taking off into outer space and going, "Wow." I can have the part of that least interested in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can have... 
near a piece of a piece that was burnt mm. by the by a thing that went yeah, into space. Yeah, the, the thing that was charred by the exciting thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it says uh, with the shuttle's now museum artifacts, because of course the the shuttle's been decommissioned. Uh, NASA is out of uses for the platforms. Um, its next big rocket, the Space Launch System, the SLS, newer platform built for the Ares rocket, uh, which is a large launch vehicle that was part of a now-cancelled program to send humans back to the moon. Um, I don't know, like... Do you think people are going to be back on in the moon within the next couple of decades? Can I take issue with the phrase, send humans back to the moon? That sounds a bit sort of anti-immigration, kind of... Uh, <laughs> Just get, get back, back there! Back to the moon. Where you came from. I don't know. Mm. That's a return right. to which mountain? Yes, return to the moon slash revenge of the moon. Are we? Why do we want to go back to the moon? Do we have unfinished business? <laughs> yes. We left some things there. That might have been a way... Like, if you were an astronaut... Like, and you wanted to, like, go back... It might be an idea just to leave something on the moon... Like this, like valuable, <laughs> and that's sort of Freudian. Oh, my umbrella! Yep. To the woman you want to have an affair with. <laughs> uh, reading a story, and I remember the name of the city, the book. Now it's a book about Mumbai. Uh, it's a really nice book. I'll see if I can remember the name of it uh, in a second. But uh, the guy who was writing it was talking about he he grew up uh, he grew up there, and then moved to America as a child, and then right. moved back again uh, later on. It was sort of like a Re- him, the, it was a book about him rediscovering this okay. place um, but he was talking about how his father was a trader and there was this whole etiquette where people would come to his house to sell their products and he would offer a, they sort of storm out in a hug I've never been so insulted yes. how dare you and, and they'd storm out the house but they'd accidentally leave something behind like a, a coat or an umbrella right, or a, right, right. a bag and then in a couple of hours time <coughs> they sort of They'd come back yes. and go. Oh, I, I'm sorry, I left my my coat here. I wonder if I could retrieve it. And they'd, he'd go, "Yeah, oh, this is your this is your coat." Uh, and he go, "Well, thank you for this. Given that you know we're friends and this has happened, maybe we could come to some kind of an arrangement." Right. Which is like this whole elaborate charade that oh, it's amazing kind right. of it's, it's but like they always things... do it. It's like it's not like a one off. This is like that. This that's the procedure. That's that the reminds etiquette. me of the sort of thing you read about if you read about sort of uh, game theory and animals and things like that. These. There's weird sort of cost-benefit scenarios that, that have to be uh, weighed up and behave, you know, they're sort of... They're sometimes really damaging to the animals, but quite often they're this elaborate charade that they go through. Yeah. Um, it's, it, that, that, those cultures are fascinating to me. I'd like... Um, well, even... It, sorry, sorry, markets and stuff. Well, my, 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 I am really used to haggling for stuff in markets because... Uh, <laughs> Because I'm one of seven kids brought up on a primary school teacher's salary. <laughs> but um, And we used to kind of like car boot sales and that kind of thing. Whereas my wife just can't. The first first price card, yes, okay. And gradually she, le- she learned that they're not going to be offended if you offer a lower price. They can just say no. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they go, well, as you're obviously on your honeymoon, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's all coming up with reasons and justifications. Yeah. But the other way around, I, wanted, I was in a, an, an off-licence... If that's a recognisable term, um, car boot. By the way, car boot sale also will also not be, a rec- be no yeah, be car garage truck sale, sale. <laughs> a garage sale kind of thing. Yeah, um, 
Is that the same thing? I mean, garage sale would have been like one household, right? Yeah, it kind of isn't the like, same Okay, thing. like if loads of garage sales all went to the same like, parking park. lot or huge field and had the, the trunks of their cars open and were selling their shit. <laughs> yep. Anyway, I was, I was once in uh, whatever kind of shop sells alcohol and cigarettes and a man, I don't know where he was from, Turkey or something, was trying to haggle for a packet of cigarettes. He's like, uh, you know, cigarettes, and the guy, well, yeah, okay, that's £5.49 or whatever. And he goes, I'll give you three. And the man's just, this face was just, what? <laughs> no, no, it's that, that's just how much it costs. I don't, I don't have any say in this. I don't have any authority to alter this yeah. price point. How much for I'll give you, okay, you back. And after a while, he's coming back towards the actual price, but really crediting this guy with being a really hard bargainer. <laughs> so just Whereas the guy's working just, in a shop where he yeah, has yeah, no yeah. ability to change the prices. He's just baffled as to what's going on. So unless you give me the number that's written here, I am not allowed <laughs> to let you have this product. Oh, I see, you're something of a hard man. <laughs> uh... Yeah, well, that that sort of that's something that's sort of taught in negotiating um, people's the conflict and like conflict right. negotiation. The, the it's a real skill to be able to get someone to back down from something. Uh, like security, like good security uh, guards and bouncers are able to do this, and bad ones aren't. Yes. Is to allow is to get people to back down from a fight or a confrontation without either of them thinking they've lost face. Yeah. Um, and I think this trick is just to leave an umbrella behind. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well. Um, that's, that's great. I'm going to fight you. <laughs> I notice I dropped my handkerchief. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we're handkerchief buddies. <laughs> I think handkerchief buddies is a different thing. Oh, yeah. Um, so the moral of that story is, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know how much... Uh, a launch pad it is. Uh, <laughs> Did it launch any careers or just rockets? Um, it doesn't say. I think it was mostly rockets. But... It's kind of like what it is, is awesome. It's kind of linked to history and progress, but it's still the least interesting thing. It's like, hey, kids, you into Harry Potter? Well, here are the sort of socks he might have worn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Here's the same brand printing press. <laughs> but, um, I, they're, they're hoping to sell it to private space companies who will actually use it to launch new rockets. Uh-huh. Uh, but it might just go in a museum and go underneath an existing rocket. Um, or prop up a millionaire's house. <laughs> right. Use it to launch his bicycle every morning. <laughs> um, I, cu- I, couldn't, I couldn't really resist this story. Um... Just because the way um, the way it was phrased, uh, mind-altering drug could offer life free of heroin. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Mind-altering drug could offer life free of heroin. And the subtitle, life now full of mind-altering <laughs> drug. <laughs> uh, but it, I know there's been a lot of experiments. It's quite hard to do these experiments for le- because of legal restrictions, but there's been quite a lot of experiments using mm. things like... I think LSD and or magic mushrooms, if I remember rightly, would used at one point to try and treat addiction. Um, uh, yeah. This is a, a, a New Scientist again, an article um, written by someone who uh, 
who underwent this treatment. It, it's done in a small clinic in Baja, uh, uh, California, in Mexico. Uh, I didn't realise they had their own California. Mm. Well done, Mexico. Oh, Baja, California. Yeah. Low California. Oh. That's, uh, that's quite unconfident of them. Mm. Just Californita. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the... Either that or it's quite passive-aggressive. Just like saying, this... We should have had all of California. Mm. Remember? This is meant to be ours. Um, but, um... He took part in the first trial uh, to investigate the affecting heroin addiction with a single dose of ibogaine, which I've never heard of. So ibogaine is a psychoactive substance which is derived from the rainforest shrub uh, tabamanthane iboga. Uh, Just one dose, he says, not hit. Sorry. (laughs) Just one hit of this shit, (laughs) said the doctor. (laughs) Seriously, man, try it. It's good stuff. <laughs> uh, um, it says, I can take you many places, causing you to experience memories and visions. Uh, and if any of these images become too frightening, just open your eyes. That's what the Jeff Israel, the director of the clinic, says. I, I, I'm also reading the same thing over your shoulder. It says, I am reassured by the words. That is not reassuring. If anything becomes too frightening, like if the, if the inside of your head, thanks to our intervention, is now a terrifying hellscape, just open your eyes. Yeah. The demons are just in your head forever. <laughs> just you know how like when you're scared, close your eyes. Yeah, you can't do that anymore ever. <laughs> that will never work. So as long as nothing frightening ever happens outside your body, just just constantly keep your eyes open, never sleeping, never blinking. And um, you'll be fine. Apparently in high doses, ibogaine can cause some brain cell degeneration in rats, but lower doses similar to those using human addiction trials show no effect. So it seems relatively safe, but the US National Institute on Drug Abuse invested over a million, but then abandoned the project uh, in 1995, I guess when they just got distracted. They abandoned the project when a poster on their wall became a bit too interesting. Um, But this is... It does seem to work. Like, a single treatment, uh, substantially less expensive than standard addiction therapies, and the intensity of the experience is is not a recreational high the users seem to want to repeat. I mean... I can understand that. It is fairly well documented that drugs like uh, acid and mushrooms aren't addictive in the same way that uh, cane or heroin are. Yeah. Is there any mention of... I mean, how it works? Why? Because I mean, heroin addiction is a pretty deep-rooted thing. Even notwithstanding the, you know, the chemical addiction side to it in your brain, there's also all sorts of kind of habit built up. There's a lot of psychological stuff. Uh, I uh, I don't really know him very well, but I know a guy I used to sometimes meet at parties who used to be a heroin addict told me that you get where you believe you enjoy injections. Like, like, kind of the way I guess that for smoking, I, mean, I smoked for years, and there's a thing with addiction. I think where the the delivery system of the sub substance you're addicted to becomes in itself a pleasurable thing for you, a pleasurable association. Right, or like it's very hard to break that. Like when notice, even when you hadn't been smoking for a while, you still have a habit of holding, like playing with things in your hands when. Well, like this pair of tweezers now. <laughs> you currently have it. I keep lighting. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
it here's a um, again the writer of this article doesn't um, doesn't say from a scientific point of view how it may work, but this is him describing what happened to him. Uh, uh, at the clinic, I and twenty nine other heroin addicts get our dose of ibogaine, which costs between two thousand and sixty five hundred, depending on which clinic you go to. Wow. Uh, it says, as it starts to take effect, I feel an intense wave of energy emanating from the centre of my chest that permeates my entire body. This euphoric state also brings me instantaneous relief from the discomfort I was feeling after going without heroin for almost 24 hours. So I guess they go through the, like, the initial drying out period, and then uh, then the withdrawal kicks in and they take it. So then he says... Um, but just, I mean, less than 24 hours, he would still be in a pretty bad place. Yes, right? and he says, with my withdrawal symptoms completely gone... I'm perplexed by the state of clarity I'm in while seeing the most profound stream of visual phenomena. I'm also filled with a sense of awe at the potential for a life free of heroin. Emotional memories force me to deal with some of the deep subconscious guilt I've repressed for years. 12 hours. After remaining at the clinic for a week, I was allowed to return home and over the next six months felt almost no cravings whatsoever. That's unbelievable. Just remarkable. I mean, although it is a single anecdote, of course. Yes, and it says uh, Ibogaine's mecha- mechanism of action. From is still a junkie, clear. who's going to believe him? <laughs> uh, and the lack of controlled human trials has prevented anyone from finding out more. What's known is the drug affects multiple receptors in the brain. Uh, its ability to lessen cravings might be the result of it blocking NMD. Uh, drug-induced craving is linked to increased activity of these receptors, and blocking them can inhibit craving in animals. Uh, the long-term relief from withdrawal symptoms probably comes from the fact that ibogaine is sequestered in fat tissue and slowly released into the bloodstream for up to six months. Ah, uh, uh, okay. Wow. So they didn't do brain scans during this, and they kept track of the of the subjects with telephone interviews and regular addiction severity tests. Um, just a sort of ethics question. He's saying between two and... Did he have to pay this to be part of a trial? That's pretty unethical. Uh, that's like the Brzezinski trials. That I don't know, because I I was looking at it from the British perspective, going, oh wow, because it always astonishes us having huge price tags, of, kind of you know, attached to medical care, because it just because it's just not how it works here. But here you go, okay, well maybe it's just a private thing, but then I'm. Is this, was, this was part of a trial to charge the subjects to take part in it is kind of not okay am I, am well I, I don't know because it doesn't say they've already they've already done the animal testing and they've already done I think I think they've basically managed to skip the human trial stage possibly by doing it in Mexico and now they're right. just offering it as a treatment <clears throat> okay. an ongoing treatment I, so I, I do get your point but this isn't this isn't a clinical trial run by a drugs company. Okay. This, they're just now giving them the things. That also that said, I mean, two thousand dollars is a lot of money, but it's nothing to what you would spend and lose on heroin and related costs. Yes. Yeah, and if there's one thing we know about heroin addicts, they're quite good at raising money at short notice. That's good. Yeah, that's yeah, they are thrifty. Yeah. Uh. Although, having said that, it's probably quite dangerous for a heroin addict, if they're severely addicted, to suddenly have plus that they have to prompt deliver to a clinic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got you that two grand. Now, off you drive to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> um, meep, meep, bye. I, 
have time for one more story. Uh, <coughs> do you want a story about how the world is probably going to end? Quite, well, it's a global warming is still bad and possibly getting even worse right. story. Or do you want a story about pianists? Um, I'm happy with either of those. I'm interested in pianists, but I have to write a show soon about the future, so... <laughs> oh, yeah, you do. Uh, the, the pianist story, I'll tell you very briefly, is um, they did a study where it turns out people shown silent videos of piano competitions could pick out the winners more often than those who could also hear the music. Right. Uh, yeah, that, um, that reminds me of a test they did for entrance where people had to do their recital behind a screen so that only the music was uh, heard and that suddenly eliminated uh, a latent sexism right in the uh, selection procedure that people hadn't hadn't really been aware of well i guess some people for instance female musicians probably had been aware of it <laughs> but none of the uh, you know the scholars or the people on the admissions board and it turned out that they were far more likely to give places to female musicians if they weren't sort of <laughs> by seeing that they were female it all, it, uh, I think I read about that, and I think it also favoured nude musicians. Really? Yeah. Interesting. And yeah. musicians who, or, or, or at least, eliminated any <laughs> any bias. anti-nude bias. Yeah. A lot of the because uh, in in, <laughs> <never mind. laughs> in both cases they just think, well, she's going to get her breast caught in the keys. <laughs> um, that 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 is interesting. I remember I remember a, talking to someone who's a who was a violinist once and he was telling he was claiming he could always tell whether it's a female or male uh strings player on a on a song doubt that very much and yeah he he said that without any proof and i then never questioned any further it seemed at the time to be he was a bit of a cocky dick so he might well have hmm. here's a thing i can do uh the other thing is that uh, stradivarius uh instruments are apparently not distinguishable by their sound particularly by even the, you know, greatest musical less you blind it as best you can. So they they even they blindfold them. They put I think they put gloves on them so they can't feel it, which sounds weird. Uh, and then they put a perfume on the on the violin or viola or whatever it is, so they can't smell smell it. Then apparently the Stradivarius, which you know goes for hundreds of thousands, if not millions, yeah, maybe a, a dollars, um, doesn't compare particularly well with. More recent, fairly cheap violins. It's just a reputation thing. All right. I w- it sounds hilarious, <laughs> and it's also really, really hard to do, because you need to get someone to agree to let you have a Stradivarius. Oh, we're just going to test it. No, you're not fucking having it. There, it's, it's worth yeah twenty million. We're going to give it to a blindfolded musician. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, clumsy strong arms. <laughs> the well-known. <laughs> The well-known brutal fiddler. <laughs> the brutal fiddler. Is it? It's a pub, isn't it? <laughs> I was about to say it sounds like just the anything, anything basically sounds like an English pub. Yes, most things. Pick any any peculiar adjective and any peculiar noun. The existent object. <laughs> <laughs> the apprehensive gnome. <laughs> I think that's a beer. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, my mistake. So uh, this uh, uh, this 
ocean acidification story. Uh, this is a this is an where apparently uh, not only will greenhouse gas emissions warm the planet, they also acidify the oceans. <laughs> Uh, and it turns out that the changes in ocean chemistry they will cause can now feed back into the climate, further driving up temperatures. Um, oh. Yeah, well, this is all the stuff that hasn't been well um, uh, well predicted, isn't it? The, the, the various little tipping points and feedback loops that... Yes, and this one um, says, uh, Ocean acidification poses a threat to many marine organisms, like snails are already dissolving, apparently. Um, no, that's the worst thing. If our dogs swallow that water... <laughs> Don't let your dogs drink the sea, people. Uh, but until now, it seemed like this was strictly a problem for marine organisms and the people who depend on, depend on them. Uh, oh, yes, yeah, so not us, then. <laughs> right. Yeah, just, you know, I live in a city. Just, yeah, exactly. I've, I, I'm Fuck in em. no way affected by life on two-thirds of the Earth's surface. Uh, climate scientists consider the carbon dioxide that is absorbed by the ocean to be stored and unable to affect the climate. But research now suggests that the acidification it causes will rebound on the entire planet by acting on tiny marine plants called phytoplankton. Ah, that absorbs here too. Yep, these produce a chemical called dimethyl sulfide uh, that drifts up into the air. Oh, so it's not CO2. But the phytoplankton release uh, DMS, dimethyl sulfide, uh, which drifts up into the air and reflects sunlight back into space, uh, cooling the planet. Uh, DMS also makes clouds brighter with the same effect. Wow. Uh, All these uncertainties that we have in climate science, you know, on account of we don't fully understand every single thing about the yes, universe. Yes, and it's a very complicated series of mechanisms yeah. that are all interacting. And the, the reason that, that sometimes the predictions are a bit off, and the, which, but these are all the gaps that people leap on. To, no, see, they don't know what they're talking about. It's all a myth. Yeah, and... Uh, but but here's the thing. This DMS, uh, when the as the seawater becomes less alkaline, the DMS release is decreased, uh, so the cooling effect will be lessened, further heat up the uh, the planet. Um, if the concentration of CO two in the atmosphere doubles, which is likely to happen later this century, temperatures are expected to rise between two and four point five degrees. Ocean acidification will add between point two three and point four eight degrees C. To that figure um, Catherine Six of the Max Planck Institute for Meteorology um, who's talking about this uh, says Catherine she, Six? Apparently so Ka- a, Katharina, she, Katharina Six Is she a clone? Yes she is in different aspects of science mm. uh, she says we were surprised the effect was so large it certainly speeds up the warming the fine- she, or she always speaks in the, in the first person plural Yes <laughs> We are pleased to meet you we were surprised that the effect was so large. We cannot... We cannot hear your thoughts. <laughs> You're thinking of a brick wall. We... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, 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 is, it is one of those ones where... Yeah, it's not known exactly what will heat up the planet and what will... It seems like most things are making it warmer. And most things that make it warmer will make it more warmer. Yeah. I mean, I, I try and do my bit by leaving the freezer open, trying to just cool it down a bit. Right, and I've seen you do this, and we have talked about this in the past. What? Right, so I can't do anything right. <laughs> you tell me that fridges and freezers warm the planet up, so I destroy as many of them as I can with fire. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, and the attempt you made to cool down the planet by constantly spreading a hose. Yeah. Well, I only have so much urine. Um, there, was a, there was a bit... 
It's a relatively downbeat note to end the episode on, but <laughs> we're all going to die, people. We started off with happy stories about well, snails. We're all, and... all going to warm up anyway. Yeah. Um, but provided that that domino in no way touches any other dominoes, <laughs> we just, just leave that. So it, It'll all be okay for, for us, because uh, it probably will be okay for us, because we yeah. live in relatively affluent Western uh, countries, and yes. certainly for at least the next will probably be fine. It's just people who depend on agriculture or live near the sea level or yeah. in any way in drought zones or any number of other people who are hugely affected by this. Um, which yeah, is trying to think of something entertaining to say. It's all just depressing. <laughs> it really is. Like, that was one of those ones where it is depressing and it, it'll affect, it'll directly affect almost no one who has the ability to make a difference about it. That's partly the problem. Like, this is... People... We, I mean, we use more and more energy. We, uh, oh, it's getting warmer, so we use the air conditioning more. Yes. It's, um... Where it, yeah, it doesn't... And it doesn't directly affect... Uh, it's not like any sort of politician is going to... Is There are very few politicians who are going to be, well, my my daughter is a, a farmer in Mauritius. <laughs> uh... I think it's pretty pretty clear in the UK that um, the climate's changing. I think just the summer we've just had, and you know there'd be various extremes of temperature and weather, but the summer hot on a level that just we are not equipped to deal with. You know, like if you're in a place that's been hot for a long time, maybe you've got the AC or whatever. Yeah, I noticed that because I've spent most of the summer in <coughs> in Los Angeles, where yeah, it was mostly hotter than London, but. Every car has AC, and yeah, most what, buildings are. Why designed would you to get cool. in a car in the heat? In in this country, you'd only do that if you were trying to kill a dog. Right, that'd be the only reason you would do it. It's, and we, um, I mean, leaving the house without a jacket is so weird and alien to me. I feel like, um, yeah, you spend most of your night just checking to make sure it's still there, and then remembering. Yeah, having bag panic. There must be a word for that. Like, that sort of bag panic, that feeling that you've left your bag somewhere. Panic. Panic. <laughs> um, Nick, where can our listeners find you? Uh, and find I, I, I am on Twitter. At, 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 Nick, at Doody. Nick Doody. That's N-I-C-K-D-O-O-D-Y. Um, that, that's mainly... I do um, uh, radio shows on the BBC Radio 4 occasionally. Right at the moment, I'm doing a kind of a topical satirical show with Rory Bremner and Andy Zaltzman called Bremner's One Question Quiz that's on Radio 4 which you can listen to internationally apparently I've found yeah if you're cunning no you don't even need to be cunning um like BBC iPlayer which is the equivalent of like Hulu or Netflix for the UK right um doesn't let people look at their TV shows but radio you can access internationally oh I don't know so all of our listeners can check out that show particularly the British ones but uh but the foreigners too. Yeah, no matter how <laughs> there will be some. How ref- far away you are, you can be just you know interested in the minutiae of British politics. <laughs> uh, so listen to so yeah BBC uh, uk slash iPlayer and search for Rory Bremner and you'll get that show which Nick's and, uh, in. Yeah, correct. Hopefully, maybe there'll be a, a more slightly sciencey one coming because I recorded a, a series yet. So that's very true. We will let you know if that happens. Um, and also, might as well put in a plug for Bigipedia, which was the. Yes. The sketch show that uh, Nick and I wrote a few years ago, there are a few clips of it on YouTube, and you can buy the series still through, I think, Audible, you get it, uh, and various other sources. 
Um, I think it's probably the thing I'm proudest of ever having written. Yeah, um, like yeah, likewise. There's a lot of really strong stuff in that. It's so, just a whatever. I mean, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to really praise this thing that we wrote. Yeah, uh, but I think uh, if you like this podcast, enjoy Bigopedia. If you like humour and the internet, <laughs> do you like fun? Have you ever worn jeans? <laughs> Diabetes might affect you. <laughs> um, so check that out. Uh, twi- uh, Twitter at Nick Doody. And as always, um, at Probably Science or Probably Science at gmail.com with any questions, comments, clarifications. Uh, go to um, iTunes and write nice things about us. Uh, that helps other people. Uh, and that's always very, very lovely uh, to help us cover our costs. And I'm about to be back in LA, so the next episode will be with Andy and uh, and possibly Brooks, depending on where he is in the world right now. Uh, in the meantime, thank you very much for listening, and thank you, Nick Doody. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.